Kingdom Culture, we've been making our way through. We kind of got held up on this last one, but uh, we're in the fourth part of the second one, which tells you we may be in this for a while. But what we're doing is we're trying to lay out before you something that was born in the hearts of the pastors back uh, at our last retreat a year ago. Uh, And then it was fully developed uh, over the summer. Uh, And then we just started uh, sharing it with some leadership. Uh, The worship team went through these 11 cultural values, and uh, we just thought it would be very beneficial to bring it before the body, and that's what we've been attempting to do. And so, uh, of course, the first of this is Jesus is our lead story. I think you've got that one down. Uh, And then you really should have this one down. This is our fourth week just on this one. Scripture and prayer are prime. Now, the reason for all this is to not only explain to you why we exist, but how do we exist? As a church, as a local church family, how do we exist? What is the culture that we would like to see around here? Of course, we believe it needs to be a biblical culture, but directly, what could it look like? What what do we see happening here? So look at the series introduction. This is the fourth time we've read through this, but I think it's beneficial. Repetition is good. And it says this, because we are a collection of many people from various backgrounds, stories, places, we believe culture making is essential for unifying our church family around a shared vision as we carry the message of Jesus to the world. We exist to love God, connect with others, reach the world by creating a culture where Jesus is our lead story and scripture and prayer are prime. God gives his word to bring about the good news of Jesus. And that good news is not that our sin made us bad people and somehow we might make ourselves better. The gospel cries out that our sin has made us dead and that Jesus is our only hope of ever being made alive. To miss this truth is to miss the purpose and the purposes of Christ. Therefore, all we do and say is anchored in the message of the gospel. So when we gather, our ultimate purpose is not to endorse the ideas, philosophies, and opinions of men, but to exchange them for the transforming truth of God's word. So when we pray, we are agreeing with the Holy Spirit of our desperate need for his presence. And we are asking for his transforming power to consume and move in us personally and corporately. Ultimately, we believe the purpose of prayer is to align ourselves with his will, his ways, and his word. So when we gather, our ultimate purpose is not to fill empty time or transitions with empty words or phrases and call it prayer, but to invite the Holy Spirit to meet the deepest needs of those gathered for the advancement of his kingdom and the glory of his name. Let's go to the Lord in prayer even now. Father, we just come to you right now. And Lord, we thank you for our journey so far in this study. And and Lord, we know that we're nothing apart from Jesus. We have no reason to exist uh, as a church uh, if Jesus is not our lead story. And Father, as we turn our attention to Scripture over the last several weeks and prayer today and some last week, Father, we just thank you that uh, you, you not only revealed yourself, but you revealed your nature, you revealed your character. And Father, we come in adoration to, to acknowledge who you are, not only through song, but also through your word this morning, Father. And Lord, I pray for each of us in this room, Lord, if there's something in our hearts that's not right with you, that's not right with another person, that that Lord, you would help us to be discontent until we made that right, until we confess that to you. 
Father, we do thank you for the work that you are doing in our lives, Father. I, I look around this room and I see people who have grown tremendously over the last several years. And, and Father, I praise you for that. And, and Lord, we just want to give you thanksgiving for that, for what you're doing in our lives. Father, we also ask in supplication, Lord, that you just meet with us here today, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would, 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 would uh, deliver us from sin, but your Holy Spirit would also reveal who you are to our hearts today. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, I pray today will be the day they come to terms with who you are and, and Lord, want what you're offering, and that's eternal life. Father, if there's a person that's here today who professes to be a Christian, a Christ follower, I, I pray, Lord, that you'll challenge them to a deeper level of commitment in this place today. We thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalms 33. We're going to look at several Psalms today, and uh, I think it'll be a help to you to see this. But let me say this as you're turning. We believe Scripture, God's Word, is the inspired words of God. We, we, we believe that as a church. Now, let me just tell you this. There's a lot of churches that don't heed to that. There's a lot of leadership in churches that don't believe that. Around here, and I'm not trying to run any other church down, but I'm, I want you to understand where we are as a church. We believe in the inspired word of God. We strongly believe that. We believe that so much that, that God has revealed himself to us through that inspired word. That our lives can be transformed through that inspired word. And that, that those inspired words, listen, have authority in our lives. It's one thing for us to believe it's the inspired word of God. It's another thing to allow it to transform us. And have authority over our lives. That's something that we must participate in. And that's what we need to understand. You see, so much of the, the, the gospel is not just about belief. It's also how we see ourselves in light of who God is. It's also that whole idea of participating with God, doing a redeeming work in our lives of regeneration. So look here, as a, as a reference of, of uh, review, I want us to understand this. Scripture and prayer provides insight for transformation. We're going to quickly go through this. If you haven't picked up on this, I haven't been here, you can go online and listen to these sermons previously. But here it is. Revelation is God revealing himself to creation. Personally, it's God revealing himself to us. How many of you are tickled to death that God chose to reveal himself? He, he did. He could have said, okay, here's the creation, and just kind of walked away and let creation take care of itself. And that's what a lot of people believe. They do. But, but we don't believe that. We believe he is interacting in his creation, interacting in our lives of those who he did create. And so, therefore, there's something in which we call general revelation in which he reveals himself through nature and conscience. But then there's specific revelation. And we believe God reveals, us, reveals himself to us through prayer and his word. And that's what this whole four weeks has been about. And then there's something called interpretation, determining the intended meaning of God's word. Now, the reason I think that's important and the reason God thinks that's important is because he has placed people within the body of Christ to be teachers, to be those who are trying to determine the correct interpretation of what God's word says and bring it together and lay it before his people. And so, therefore, he has assigned certain people in the body to bring proper interpretation to the word. But then there's illumination. And y'all, that's where God does a work in your own life. And it's the Holy Spirit's work of bringing light to one's heart. 
How does he do that? Well, there's that whole idea of logos, which is the written word of God. It means prayerfully reading God's word. It's not where we're trying to read the chapter and check it off. It's us saying, okay, God, before we even get into it, we're saying, God, speak to my heart. This is your word. This is inspired. This is something that should transform my life. This is something that, uh, that has authority in my life. So right now today, God, I want you to speak to me through this word. Let me say this. God will speak to you through his word. He will challenge you. He will convict you. He will guide you. He will direct you. If you come to his word the way he intends us to come, and we're going to see about that in just a moment. And then there's a whole idea of rhema, which is uh, the spoken word of God. It means to prayerfully listen to God in prayer. But let me say this, and I've had seasons in my own life. Many times our prayer is what? It's very one-sided. It's us doing all the talking. But let me ask you this. When's the last time you said, God, speak to my heart? I'm, I'm going to sit here today, and I, 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 I've cut out this time. I want you to just speak to my heart. God will speak to your heart. It's amazing how he'll speak to your heart. And then there's the whole idea of application. We spent the whole last Sunday on this one thing. And, y'all, this is where it has to become action. Listen, the other parts are very important, but until it becomes action, until it becomes application, it's determining the relevance of God's word and then actively responding. Guess what? That word will not take up seed in our heart. It it will not grow to the point of producing fruit. And so as I'm trying to take in what God is trying to say to me, I shared with you last week six questions concerning illumination and application. And it's this whole idea. Is there a truth I should believe about God in what I just read? Is there something I should trust God for? Is there a command I need to obey? Is there an attitude I need to change? Is there a motive I need to change? Is there a promise I can claim in my current situation? And is there someone I need to pray for? All these things are important. And and it really, this is not an exhaustive list. There's so much more that God wants to share with us if we'll just invite him to speak to our hearts. But then we come to where we are today. Scripture and prayer provides insight for application. I want to show you the different ways in which application can take effect in your life. And, and And basically what I'm going to do is I'm just going to name them and then I'm going to give you a verse. Because some of this we've already covered before, but I want you to see it in this context. So first of all, what is scripture and prayer? What does it actually provide insight for when it comes to the application? Of course, the application is us acting on the word. Okay? So number one, to convict. To convict. Now, The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and powerful. How many of you believe that? You need to believe that. It not only spoke to those it was intended to write in its present day, it speaks to us 2,000 years later, which implies what? It's powerful and it's living. Another part of it is this, and sharper than any two-edged sword, Now, let me tell you about a two-edged sword in the first century. There was nothing more powerful than a two-edged sword. I mean, think about it. The weaponry of the first century would have been nothing more than a two-edged sword. Now, if you go to other far eastern parts of the country uh, of the world in that time, you would have seen that bow and arrows had, had been created and all of them were being used. I mean, there were several things being used. But one thing that was powerful to the soldier was the two-edged sword. 
And so uh, if, if, if it were written today, it would be this. It, and it's more powerful than any atomic bomb that's been out there. <laughs> I mean, this is big deal to them. It says, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrows. It means it gets into the nooks and crannies of our lives. And, and guess what? It can only get there when we give the proper attention to let it get there. And then it goes on. And there's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Did you know sometimes it's hard to even know the own, our own intentions of our heart? How, how many of you have figured that out? Sometimes we don't even know <laughs> where did that... How many of you have ever done something or had an attitude or had a reaction to something and thought to yourself, where did that come from? Where in the world? And you're shocked by it. Listen, God's word can shed light on where that came from. It can reveal the, the heart condition that you have. And it can reveal the intents that God has. Not only what you have in your thoughts and your intentions, but also it can replace those things of God's thoughts and his intentions for your heart. Jesus told his disciples, you remember this. He says in John 16, he says this. And when he, he is referring to the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Listen, if there is not proper attention to your soul as it relates to conviction, then you are missing what God desires for your life. He wants to bring correction to your life. And you know how he does it? Through conviction. Conviction can come by way of his word, us reading something and being convicted by the word. It can come through the teaching of the word. It can come just through him revealing something to our hearts. It can happen while we're in our prayer closet. It can happen to us when we're going down the road. God can speak to our hearts. Second of all, what's all this application for? It's there to convert. Scripture and prayer are there to convert. The Bible says in Psalms 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Converting the soul. Next, we see it is there to cleanse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, think about this. What's, you got conviction and then you have the cleansing. And we're going to show you the two differences in what David wrote years, late, or years earlier. And here's what you need to understand about it. He says, if we confess our sins. It's one thing to be convicted by your sins. It's a whole different matter if we confess that sin. Confession, you know what it literally means? Two parties agreeing on something. It's when I see my life or when I see my sin the way God sees my sin. And we agree on that and we come to a conclusion that it must be dealt with. That is the whole idea of confession. So it's one thing to be convicted by it. I can be convicted by something all the time and, and nothing ever take place with that conviction. But it is when I begin to confess that things begin to change. It says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, this is the good part, from all unrighteousness. From all unrighteousness. The word of God, listen, brings us to repentance and cleanses us from sin. Next, we come to the idea of what scripture and prayer is capable of doing. It is capable of changing us or to change the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, but we all, he's speaking to the body, with unveiled face, beholding as a, in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Now let me tell you what he's saying at the first part of this verse. He's basically saying this. 
He's saying that we can see God. We may not see him directly, but we can see God. Now, now let me ask you a question. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? You don't necessarily see him directly, but you can see God. You see God how? In the way he works in your life. Possibly in the way he works in other people's lives. And you see it, and you know without a shadow of doubt, that can only be God. You, you ever seen any of that? I want you to think of this. How, how many of you, and you've heard this before, about the wind. There's been a lot of wind out there the last several days. Now, what do we know about the wind? Can't see it, but what do we see? We see the effects of the wind. We can see the trees bending. You can see the gutter fall off my house like it did the last couple of days. <laughs> you, you can see all kinds of things. You see the effects. You see what it's capable of doing. And guess what? That's the same way we see God. We can't see God, but we see the effects of God. And we see God working. And we see tremendous things. And we see the power of God. And then he says this. And we are being transformed into the same image. Now, I want you to think about that. We can't see him directly, but we can literally be transformed into his image. Y'all, that can only take place by miracle, by miracle. And it happens by the way that God works in our lives. From glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So here's what this means. My life is intended, I hope you know this, to bring glory to God. Did you know that? You were created to bring glory to God. How do I bring glory to God? I can bring not only glory, but I can bring glory, glory to glory. My life can be a repetition of bringing glory to his name. How does it happen? By becoming transformed into his image. What does that mean? Into his nature. Not, not that we become deity. Listen, you are a created being. You will never become deity. But you can take on his nature you can take on what he's all about, what he desires. Next, scripture and prayer provides insight for application to comfort. How many of you just in the last month needed comforting in some way or in order? Some, in some way you needed comforting. Maybe discouragement hit your heart and it's just, it, was just, it was really tough to deal with. Whatever it is, God's word can bring comfort. Look at what it says in Romans 15, 4. It says this, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. That means for our benefit. That we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Now, I don't know about you, but there's nothing comforting that I have found about patience. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever found comfort in patience? We should, but that's not the first thing that comes to my mind. When I, when I want to be comforted, I, I, want, I want something to come around me. I want, I want to feel encouraged. I want, I want to see the hope out there. What's he tying this to? He's saying that your comfort, listen, comes along with the patience. I don't want the patience. Just bring the comfort. How many of you are that way? But the patience, listen, is the working to the comfort. Listen, let me tell you this about where we're living today. And you've heard this before. Good Southern Gospel Quartet music tells you this over and over again. But this is not our home. You know that, right? We're living for another home. 
And y'all, you're talking about comfort. You're talking about being in the image of God. You're talking about all the things that he desires for us. That's where the whole, that's where it's really going to be played out. But in the meantime, right now in this world, in this fallen world in which we're living in fallen bodies, there comes a patience to our comfort. That's where the hope comes from. But then scripture and prayer provides insight for application to challenge He says in Jude chapter 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Have you ever heard that phrase before? What does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? Here's what it could mean. It means that I'm praying in such a way that I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to do what he was sent here to do. Think about that. What was he sent here to do? To convict us. Been convicted before? To, to comfort us. To instruct us. To guide us. Listen. The whole idea of who the Holy Spirit is. His, the whole realm of who he is. Is that he is coming. Listen. To be the encourager. To be the comforter. Did you know sometimes. Some of the greatest comfort I can receive. Is through conviction. Did you know that? I will never be right with God or with other people unless there's conviction in my life. So when you say, what is his role? Oh, he's there to convict us. He's there to comfort us. He's there to instruct us. He's there to guide us. And all that, for me anyway, is a challenge. A challenge to live the life God's called me to live. And then this, look on your outline. Why is prayer prime around here? Prayer provides insight for perspective. Now, Why is prayer important? Now, I want you to think about this. It's not only talking to the creator, but prayer has so many different aspects about it. Listen, prayer reaches beyond the limit of human potential and weakness. How many of you ever seen that in your own life? How many of you tried, 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 and tried to do something? Maybe you manipulated it. Maybe you, whatever you did, but finally you just said, I'm obviously not creating the change. It needs to be changed here. Now, many of you wives know what I'm talking about when you're dealing with your husbands. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) But I remember, Tina, I remember uh, in our marriage, uh, our marriage was very difficult for a long time. And and, and it it wasn't just her fault. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) There were some things that had to change. There were some things that needed to change. That's one thing. My wife is, is a prophet. She sees things. Many times I don't see, but she sees things, and she can go after things, and she can, and boy, I tell you, she, she called me out many times. But anyway, I'm, there were times in which I'm sure that she wanted the change to happen so bad that there was manipulation at times. I saw it. She's confessed to it. But you know when God started doing the work in her husband? she really wanted to see done is when she knew that only God could change my heart. You know that? And so therefore, you know what happened? Her prayer reached reached beyond her limitations and my weaknesses. And he created something in our marriage. And that's really with anything. Now, Prayer also provides true and proper perspective. But how do we get there? Here's here's where it starts. Look on your outline. Adoration. It starts with adoration. 
This is something that many people forget. When, when, when you pray right now, I want to ask you to evaluate your prayer life. Don't raise your hand. I want you to think about it, okay? When you start your prayers, where do you automatically go? Many times, it's what drives us to the prayer in the first place. So if we're like sitting in a room and we're surrounded in, in, in a classroom and getting ready to take a test, what's that prayer sound like? Oh, God, please help me through this. Please, Lord, you know, I've done, I've done I, you know. It hardly ever starts like this. God, you're the creator of the universe. You've done amazing things in my life. And Lord, I tell you right now, it's just this, you're, you're, you're so worthy to be praised. You're so, what happens in the classroom setting? God, please help me on this test. Lord, only you can deliver me from this. I mean, think about it. What, the, our prayer starts out the way, in, in many ways the way we're motivated to go to that prayer. But here's what you need to understand. Prayer is so much more than putting out your petitions and putting out your supplications. Did you know that in Scripture there are designs of prayer? What did Jesus say? Hey, if you want to pray, pray like this. Did you know that the disciples, one of the biggest questions they ask him, and they ask it more than twice, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And then he said, well, it sounds like this. If you go through and you study that prayer, the Lord's Prayer, you know what you'll find out? It begins how? With adoration. Acknowledging who you're addressing. Okay? And so it starts there. Richard Foster in his book on prayer. Look here. Here's a quote. Prayer is the human response to the perpetual outpouring of love by which God lays siege to our soul. Our response to God's love is adoration. Adoration is a spontaneous yearning of, the, of one's heart to worship, honor, magnify, and bless God. Think about that. That's where it's got to begin. Almost all the Psalms have examples of adoration in them. Some Psalms are written just for adoration. I want you to look at one, Psalms 33. That's the one I ask you to turn to. Look at verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Now, how many of you have been to a harp concert lately? They actually have them. But some, I, they tell me these fancy hotels have harpists in the lobbies and stuff. But, but anyway, let's put it modern day. Uh, piano, Okay. Uh, make melody to him with an instrument of 10 strings. That's a guitar-type praise. Guess what? We, we've done pretty good. Look, there's a bunch of them sitting right here, okay? I mean, you think about it. You got the, okay, let's go on. Sing to him what? A new song. I love the old hymns. I'm telling you, I do. But you know what God, what I'm convinced about God is that he loves variety, variety. He does. There's always ta- he's always talking about a new work. He's always talking about a new song. Listen, I, one of my favorite things to do during the year is to go with the seniors to, to what we call Jubilee. I have to get a good dose of Southern gospel music at, at least once a year. I mean, I, and I can take it more, but, but I'm telling you, I love it. I love it. I was raised on it. I love it. I feel at home when I'm hearing it. The hymns, same way. But you can't mistake what God's saying here, that there is a new song. 
The new song might be written by someone like Chris Tomlin or these new artists that are out there. That's fine. But do you know what the context of this is in? That you create a new song. You create a new song. So, so he wants you to be a songwriter. How many of you just get so wrapped up in God, sometimes you just start singing and you don't even know what you're singing. And you're just throwing it out there. You know, God, you're so good. You're so good, good, good. I, I don't do that in my quiet time. I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? I, I, but there's some of the context there. Let me tell you somebody who does that, do that. It's Gary Marburger. I can sit in my back. I have a little back office back there where I do some studying. What people don't realize is I can hear their conversation as they're walking down the, 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 uh, the uh, sidewalk there. So be careful when you leave my office and you don't want me to hear what you got to say. I can hear you, okay? I'm just putting it out there. But Gary, every time he goes out the door, that boy is singing. I mean, it doesn't sound pretty. It's not good. I'm just going to be honest with you. But he, and, and some of the songs I recognize and some I'm convinced he's making it up on the spot. He's putting this into action. But he's singing it. It ain't pretty, but he's singing it. And then he says this. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Play skillfully. Now that is, I'm curious with that one. That means these musicians, they're intended to bring it skillfully. Think about that. So many times, you know, you, know, you just get out there and whatever, you just do it. That's fine. There may be a place for that. But they're to play skillfully. They are to work at the gift and talents that God's given them. And then he says this, with a shout of joy, sing out. Sometimes I got to confess, I'm over here and there's nobody within three rows. Connie's not normally there. She's normally up here. So I'm up there and I'm just, I, I, I tell you, now that I don't do three services, you know what I enjoy the most about not doing three services? In fact, I get to sing the praise music and I still have enough voice. And I get in there and I just love that. I love some of this music. That second one we sang has become my favorite song right now. There's so much good theology in that song. And, and I just love singing it out and, and, and that kind of thing. But listen, sometimes I'm the only person I hear. You people need to start singing out, okay? I'm sick of hearing me, all right? But it's talking about singing it out. And it just doesn't have to happen right here in this room. It can't happen in your quiet time. It can't happen wherever. But what do we do? We're to adore him. He's talking about, the psalmist is talking about, for the word, listen, verse four, for the word of the Lord is right and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in the storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world, this is important. Stand in awe of him. Amen. We don't stand in awe of him anymore. We definitely don't have a world that does. But many Christians don't seem to give off the fact that they're in awe of what God is doing. And y'all, I've been there myself. Listen, I told you a couple of weeks ago, I was saved when I was eight years old. I don't know of a time when I didn't know about God. I was raised in a Christian family. I don't know of a time I didn't know about God. I didn't know the story of Jesus and what he did. And I'll be honest with you. 
for those of us that, that started out always knowing him and everything, sometimes we take him for granted. I mean, I'm looking around the room, and a lot of you have the same type of testimony I do. And we take him for granted. How many of you have ever met these people that's been saved maybe in their 40s or 50s, and they're just so full of it? Sometimes I envy them. Because they lived a large portion of their life not knowing him the way I knew him. And I know that sounds terrible, but they seem to have, they seem to be in tune with the allness of God and how great he is and how, how desperate life is without him. But I was this eight-year-old sitting in children's church, children's pastors preaching on hell that Sunday. Can you imagine that? I knew I didn't want to go there. I signed up for heaven. I trusted Jesus. I know God did a little work in my life. I can see it. I see it play out. I, I, I became a follower of Christ. I worked in the bus ministry when I was a kid. I mean, I was all over the place. And, and so I know he did that. But sometimes I get so envious of those who, who know how to stand in awe of who he is. And y'all, we all need to get back to that. Get back to that. Turn over to Psalm 51. As you're turning, I want to give you some of the benefits of adoration. We're going to look at several psalms. Adoration, let me tell you what it does. It sets the tone for my prayer. It sets the tone for the prayer. Adoration, look at what it's doing. Adoration gets the focus off of me and on God. When I start a prayer with my petitions and my supplications, guess who the focus is on? It's on me. Guess how many of my prayers in the past have started? God help me. God do this. Oh, please do this. Lord, this is bigger than I. Oh, where's all the focus? It's on me. Y'all, I am so limited. I am so weak. My prayer doesn't need to start with me. It needs to start with him. The focus on him. Slowing down to realize who I'm addressing. I'm talking to God. Therefore, I must focus my attention on him. That means my racing mind. How many of you deal with that when you go to your prayer time? Racing mind. Hard to turn off. It's amazing how the enemy gets in on that, isn't it? Racing mind. That means I'm, I'm understanding. I'm in the audience of God. Think about that. Read scripture. Listen to music. I know some people that make that a habit. That's what gets them into that adoration. They just start listening to worship music. Next, adoration reminds me of God's identity and desires. When I start focusing on adoration, I know somebody, uh, I forgot who it was. Years ago, they told me they did this, and I've tried this myself. But what they do is they go alphabetically, and they name the character and nature and attributes of God, A, B, C, and they just go right on down the list. And you know what they're doing? They're turning their focus off themselves, and they're placing their focus on God. Adoration allows me to see myself as I truly am. Let me say this. Most people do not have a clue as to who they really are. That sounds weird, doesn't it? There are some people out there that think way too highly of themselves. You ever been around them? They do. I've been there. And there are some people who see themselves as way too low. They don't realize who they are in Christ. But then there are some that are the opposite. Do you know what adoration does? It allows me to see who he truly is 
And by looking at him as he truly is, guess what it sheds light on about me? Who I truly am. When I start thinking about who he truly is and what he did on my behalf, listen, I'm a child of God. I've been bought. I've been purchased. I, I, I have to sit there and look at where my sin was capable of carrying me and sometimes where it is carrying me. And, and all of a sudden, I see him as he truly is. But in reflection of that, I see myself as I truly am. And adoration does every bit of that. Here's another one. Adoration. We have confession. Oh, my goodness. It's 1030. Okay, we have confession. Probably the most neglected area of prayer today. Did you know that? Confession. No one likes to admit they're wrong. But listen, we have to confess your trespasses to one another. That, that's a whole idea of accountability. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The word healed there means to restore or to bring safely through. It's healing that may be instantly or progressive. How many of you have ever had instant healing in your life about something? It doesn't have to be about your physical health, but instant healing. That's good. You saw that. But how many of you also have seen progressive healing where God did a work in your life that seemed to cover expanse of time? And I'll be honest with you, that's the type of healing that has more of an impact in my life many times because there was a work that was being done to get me there. And then, of course, it can, that healing may be physical, it may be emotional, it may be spiritual. But here's what it is. That you may be healed. Do you know it's in the middle voice? It's not in the passive voice. What do you think that means? It means I have a part in it. It means I have a part in it. That you may be healed. Did you know that, that and most healing that takes place, that I have a part in that? Did I have to turn my attention where it needs to be turned for healing to take place? Or I need to come to the aspect of my life that needs to be before God? And guess what? Sometimes that healing will only take place, listen, through dealing with my own sin. It's in the passive voice, it's in the, it's in the middle voice, not the passive. When I start reading about what salvation is and what Christ did for me on the cross and all that, if you study the Greek and you look at it, you're going to see that it's, it's a passive voice. That means he did everything. He provided it all for me. I had a role in it, but the initiation of it all is in the passive voice. He laid it out there right there for me. But a lot of the scripture past that salvation is more in the middle voice, which tells me I have a part, a big part, in what God is doing in my life. Here, here it is. Confession. Oh, listen to this last part. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It accomplishes much. Now, confession should be three things. Number one, spontaneous. Spontaneous. Holy Spirit convicts me of it. What needs to happen? I need to confess it. I need to ask for forgiveness. Okay? Uh, two options to confession. To confess your wrong, listen, literally softens your heart. To not confess makes your heart hard. Holy Spirit puts his finger on something. Guess what many of us say? I don't know if I'm ready to deal with that one yet. I don't know about that one. And we ignore it. Come back to the table. Holy Spirit puts his finger on it. Guess what? Every time we do that, it's like a callus. It gets harder and harder. And what happens with a callus? I have several on my fingers. A lot of you shake my hand, can't believe how soft my hands. I do have calluses, okay? Thank you very much. But anyway, <laughs> what happens to those callus spots? I can touch it, but I really can't feel it. That's the same thing can happen to our own souls if we don't confess the way God's called us to confess. I'm out of time. 
part five's coming up. <laughs> How many of you just want to take the whole year on this? We can do that. No, I'm just kidding. Let me just say this. I don't know where you are today, but let me tell you this. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, right now, let me tell you where it has to start. You got to see him as he truly is. And by the way, did you know that the Holy Spirit, every person that's ever been saved, the Holy Spirit has, has moved them towards Jesus. Okay? The part of what the Holy Spirit does is it allows you to see him as he truly is. And also the Holy Spirit allows you to see who you truly are. And if you're someone sitting here today, maybe you just kind of wandered in here. I know most of you, but I don't know all of you. And, and all of a sudden it's like, you know something? I, I'm, I don't see myself like I used to. I'm starting to see that there's some things in here that needs to be dealt with. Can I tell you what that is? That's the Holy Spirit doing the work in your life. And let me tell you this. The world is not going to give you that lens. It's not going to give you that perspective. So it's got to come from somewhere other than that. It's the Holy Spirit working in your life. And so if you don't know him today, I want to invite you to come during this invitation. Second of all, maybe you're a Christian. And maybe it's been a long time since you've had honest confession. Maybe it's been a long time since you allowed the Holy Spirit to just inspect your life. And to bring to, to the surface the things that need to be dealt with in your life. And let me just tell you this. Sometimes we can go a long time without doing that. And that, that's not a good situation. Because God wants to use us. But he can only use us when we hear him. And you know what keeps us from hearing him a lot of times? Most of the time, most all the time? Sin in our life that hasn't been dealt with. Maybe you need to get around soccer. Maybe you need a, prayer, a pastor to pray with you. Or maybe this is a church home God's called you to be a part of. I, I don't know. Whatever God's dealing with you to do. But at this time, would you just stand to your feet, please? Father, we just come to you right now, and we thank you for your goodness and your word and the way that you continue to challenge our lives. And, and Lord, I have no idea why this subject matter is continuing to be prolonged. But, Father, I can only assume this is just something you're desiring for us to do. As we go into our fifth week of just studying what scripture and prayer are really all about. Father, I, I'm just counting that this is just something you're desiring for us. And Father, I pray that you'll continue to enlighten us as we go through this study. But Father, I pray for those today that that person that maybe have never encountered you for the first time. That maybe today would be that day. Father, for that Christian that just needs to understand uh, what role adoration and confession can take place in their life and how it needs to take place. Father, I pray you draw them also. Father, have your way in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.